I will, I'm Courtney, and I'm doing the scripture reading for today. So it's from 1 Corinthians 8. So now, about food sacrifice to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who, love, those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in this world, and that there is no God but one. For even there are so-called gods, whether in the heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still accustomed to idols, that when they eat sacrificial foods, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do eat. Be careful, however, that the, ex- that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all of your knowledge, eating an idol's eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. We're just going to pray. So, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that we can gather here and worship you. God, I pray that you would uh, speak through um, your word, God, and through Jason. I pray that you would bless him and that he would speak um, clearly and articulately what you have um, spoken to him and what you've asked him to speak. And, uh, yeah, we pray that you bless the mothers. Thank you for this Sunday. We love you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. My little props here. Good morning. Are you all okay? Are you good? Good. I thought I would start today and tell you a little bit about myself. Maybe not many of you know me. My name is Jason Willis, and I actually was born and grew up in Southern Africa. I tell people usually that I was born in a country that no longer exists because the name has changed. It used to be called Rhodesia, now it's called Zimbabwe, and then I grew up in Southern in South Africa, actually. I was born into a Christian family, and I gave my life to the Lord at a young age of five. This month, Janita and I will be celebrating 20 years of marriage. <laughs> it hasn't all been easy. Marriage does take work, but I'm so happy that God gave me such a special woman to do life and ministry with. And I think that's a good opportunity to once again honor the mothers that I miss, and just say happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. They, they, they work tirelessly for their families, and often with very little thanks. Also to the spiritual mothers, you know, that's something that gets overlooked too. Some mothers, there's some who maybe didn't get married or, or didn't have children for some reason or the other, but have been spiritual mothers to many, 
And so we bless those mothers as well. I was in the business world for about 20 years before God called me and my family out of full-time work into full-time ministry from Canada to Turkey about almost five years ago. We first came to Celtic Izmir area on the west coast of Turkey, and we were associate pastors in an international church called Oasis Ephesus International Church. And we were there for about four years until we felt God calling us to this community here in Antalya. And we weren't prepared for everything that God had for us here, but we are so excited and we're so glad at what he's done and, and who he's brought into our lives. I was originally asked if I wanted to preach on chapter 13 of the book of 1 Corinthians. As you all know, that's the book of love. And I was pretty excited, but then when I checked my calendar, we were going to be away. So I get to speak to you about food sacrifice to idols. At first, I thought, oh, great. How is this going to be practical and relevant? You know, we live in a... It'll be okay, don't worry. We'll, we live in a, a country that's 98% Muslim, one of the three monotheistic religions in the world amongst Christianity and uh, Judaism. So how, how are we going to make this practical? So anyway, uh, I think that I've... God has highlighted some things to me, and I think I can highlight some biblical truths that can make this relevant and practical to us all. I'd like to quickly recap uh, what we've talked about so far in the book of 1 Corinthians. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul in about AD 54 to the church community, which Paul knew really well. Corinth was a major port city in the ancient world, and there were many temples to Greek and Roman gods. It was the largest city in Greece and a major crossroads of commerce and culture. Paul went there to see his friends Aquila and Priscilla because they were tent makers as he was. But Paul began to preach in the synagogues about the gospel of Jesus. He spent about a year and a half in Corinth and people started to accept his message. They became believers and formed a church community. After a while, Paul left to do ministry in other places, but he began to receive some reports that things were not going so well in Corinth. There were all sorts of problems, and that's why he wrote this letter. The letter is broken up into five main parts, including a final greeting, and these five parts correspond with five major problems that Paul is addressing. In each of the parts, he starts out by describing the problem And then he begins to respond to that problem with some uh, story of the gospel, which is the good news about Jesus. He shows them that they are not really living the gospel that they profess to believe. So this letter is learning to look at every area of life through the lens of the gospel. Chapters 1 to 4, he deals with divisions in the church. Chapters 5 to 7 deals with some problems related to sex. So I'm glad that Robin got to speak about and uh, not me. <laughs> Chapters 8 to 10, the issue is about food. Specifically, it was about eating meat from animals that were sacrificed in local temples to these Greek and Roman gods. And we will specifically look at chapter 8 today. Now, in the Christian pagan society, much of the meat that was offered in a sacrifice to one of the many gods was Uh, Sorry, the fat of these animals was burned on the altar, and then the meat was sold in the restaurants or the local butcher shop. 
And there were some in the church who had strong convictions against eating this meat. Others in the church had no convictions at all. They argued idols are nothing. There was only one God, so it doesn't matter if meat was offered in a sacrificial ceremony to one of the idols. These people were boasting of a superior knowledge of the truth that they were free to eat such meat. You can imagine them making fun of the other Christians who didn't want to eat this meat. Now, this is not the first time that this issue of eating meat sacrificed to idols was discussed by the earlier believers. The council in Jerusalem, which was the first church council, met in approximately 48 to 50 AD, and that's about four to six years before this. There were those that were saying that Gentiles could only be saved if they became Jews. In other words, they had to be circumcised and observe the Mosaic law. These men were creating division in the church in Antioch, and so they came to Jerusalem to discuss and settle the matter. It was finally determined to write to the Gentile believers and tell them four things. Abstain from meats sacrificed to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. And if they do these four things, then they do well. So it was determined at that point that believers should not eat meat that was offered to idols. Now, it's also clear when we read Revelations chapter 2 and 3 that this rule also had the endorsement of Jesus and represented the mind of Christ. For when Jesus, through John, wrote to the churches in Asia, he said to the church in Pergamos in Revelation 2, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Then to the church in Theatera, Revelation 2.20, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating the food sacrificed to idols. I think sexual immorality in both of these cases was probably spiritual fornication, the participation in the worship of pagan gods. So Paul begins this chapter by saying, now about food sacrificed to idols, we all possess knowledge. These words, we all possess knowledge, are in inverted commas or quotation marks, presumably because it was a slogan of the Corinthian uh, Christians. This is true for everyone. We all possess knowledge to some degree, right? Some more than others. Some know more about certain subjects than others too. For example, Mark Wilson, he knows a lot more about biblical Turkey than most of us. He even wrote a book about it. You can pick it up downstairs. You can pay me later. <laughs> Robin uh, knows a lot more than some of us about living and serving God in Pakistan. Emre, he knows a lot more Turkish than me, but I know a lot more in general about life because I've, than my children because I've lived more than 25 years longer than them. Then Paul goes on to say, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Now, is Paul saying here that knowledge is bad? Not at all. Knowledge is actually good and something to be sought after. Let's look at King Solomon in 2 uh, Chronicles chapter 1. 
He was probably the wisest and richest man that ever lived. Now, early in his life, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask whatever you want for me, and I will give it to you. Solomon asked God to give him knowledge and wisdom, that he may lead his people. And then God said to Solomon, Since this is your heart's desire, and you have not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over who have made you king, therefore, wisdom and knowledge will be given to you. And I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor, such as no other king before you ever had, and none after you will have. I was a child when I first read this portion of scripture, and it really stuck in my mind. I would repeatedly pray to God and ask him to give me knowledge and wisdom. Now, the book of Proverbs is also full of scriptures that tell us to seek wisdom and knowledge more than anything, more than gold, silver, or precious stones. One of my personal prayers lately for my children is that God would give them a desire to learn and gain knowledge and wisdom. So from scripture, we see that knowledge is good. However, we have to be careful that we don't allow allow this knowledge to give us an inflated self-confidence or to think we are better than others. In other words, pride. So knowledge has potential for us to become arrogant. Now I'm going to use one of my props. Okay, so look at this balloon. This is the actual size, but... can get bigger. When we blow air into it, it's like knowledge that can puff us up, right? It, it becomes puffed up. But with a simple pinprick, it becomes the original size again, and we see that it was inflated. If anyone was sleeping, I guess you're awake now. <laughs> so we see knowledge can puff up while love builds up. The Greek word for build-up is oikodomio. I think I may have pronounced that right, Mark. Which literally means to build a house, to found, establish, or to promote growth. So love edifies. It builds up and causes us to grow in our faith, like this very building around us. It's something that we can rely on. Paul writes in verses 2 and 3, Those who think they know something and do not know as they ought to know. It's usually the man who thinks that he knows the most that usually knows the least. I used to think I know how to raise children until I had children of my own. I used to think I know how to, knew how to be a good husband until I got married. The more you think uh, you learn about a subject, the more you realize how little you actually know on the subject. Here's some food for thought. He who knows not and knows not that he knows not is a fool. Shun him. He who knows not and knows that he knows not is a student. Teach him. He who knows and knows not that he knows is a teacher. Learn from him. Then Paul goes on to say, but whoever loves God is known by God. An early manuscript and other ancient witnesses translate the last part as, but whoever loves 
truly knows. To me, love is like a trump card. Now, this is very simple and rudimentary, but it's got the word trump on one side and it's got love and hearts on the other side. When you're playing a game of cards, you may have a hand, but when someone puts down a trump card, it beats everything. This is how I think of love. It's the trump card in life. With everything we say and do, we should always base our actions and responses out of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 2 says, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Love should be our foundation and that everything else is built on. The true love of God in our hearts will cause us to seek to build up our brother rather than offend him. So Paul explains how these weaker brothers are being offended by those believers who are eating this meat. He wrote, some people are so accustomed to, eat, uh, to idols that when they eat this sacrificial food, they think of it as been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience, conscience is weak, it is defiled. Then Paul gives a very stern warning to the believers. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. So Paul is saying here that these believers who think they're simply exercising their rights and freedoms are actually sinning against Christ. Now, eating meat sacrificed to idols is rather far removed from our culture, so let's closer to home. Let us look at how we can apply these principles in in our own lives. Now, there are some people who feel the liberty to drink alcoholic beverages. They'll tell you Jesus turned water into wine, and they'll say that nowhere in the Bible does it tell us to totally abstain from drinking alcoholic beverages. Now, there are other believers who have really struggled with a drinking problem. They are not able to control their drinking. They go on drinking binges, and their lives are almost destroyed. Now, if they see you drinking alcohol in a bar or restaurant, they may think, I can do it too, right? He can do it, I can do it. Your liberty may embolden him try it, and you could destroy his life as he again becomes a hopeless alcoholic. As Paul writes to the Romans, why should you destroy a brother for whom Christ died by your liberties? You may try to defend defend your freedom and your actions by your knowledge. Yet, if you truly loved your brother, you would not puff yourself up with knowledge, but instead you would seek to build him up for love triumphs everything else. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that alcohol is bad in itself and that you should never drink alcohol. What I am saying is if you do have have a habit of drinking too much alcohol, you should probably stay away from it. I'm also saying that if you do have an occasional drink, then for the sake of your brother, you should be very wise about how and when you have a drink because it is not just about you. Love trumps everything else. Now, this is not just limited to eating meat and alcohol. We as humans be right, right? Especially in an argument. We hate losing, 
especially when we feel we have all the facts and we feel that we are right, more often than not, we would rather sacrifice a relationship and be right than give in and let love trump everything. I am guilty of this, as I'm sure many of you are too. I'm preaching to myself here. The next time we are tempted to enter into an argument, let's try to keep love at the core. 1 Peter 4, verse 8 says it so well. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Paul concludes that if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. That's pretty intense. And when I was writing my sermon, I remembered a story that my friend in Ankara told me, because I noticed that she wasn't drinking any coffee. And so I asked her why. She told me she actually really likes coffee, and then she proceeded to tell me a story. She said she had a friend in America that was a believer. However, this friend struggled with an alcoholic problem. She would go on drinking binges and disappear for days. Then one day my friend said she was spending time with God in prayer and she felt God tell her to give up coffee, something she really likes for her friend. And she said yes to God and she hasn't drunk a coffee in the past 20 years. She told her friend that she had given drinking coffee for her and this friend has now been sober, sober for the last 20 years. This simple act of love changed this lady's life forever. So in every interaction that we have with others, whether it be driving on the road with bad drivers, standing in long queues at the grocery store, or simply at home with our loved ones, let us remember that being right isn't the goal. Our goal is to love others above everything. Let love be your trump card. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that, Lord, everyone this morning would really get the heart of this message, God. So often we let our knowledge or liberties get the better of us, Lord, and, and we think about ourselves. God, I pray that you would help us to put love above everything else, God, that we would think about others more than ourselves, Lord. Let love be the trump card in our lives, God, we pray. And thank you for Jesus that you showed us how to love so well. Let us be examples and let us follow your example, God. In this way, I pray. Amen.